All right, I got a message for you today. It is Miracle Sunday. Anyone expectant? Anyone have faith to believe for miracles today? Amazing. Hands up if you've seen a miracle in your life. Awesome. Look around the room. How cool, eh? And it's okay if you haven't. Maybe today's the day that you do. It's okay that you haven't because this is a beautiful journey and it took me quite some time after becoming a Christian before I actually saw a miracle with my own eyes. It completely changed my faith. Uh, it was 2011 and I was a student at Elam Leadership College and our class were getting prepared to go on a mission trip to Tonga. So as we prepared, we packed, we prayed, we got everything in order, we prayed into it, we had intercessors preparing the way ahead of us all that deal. And we were getting ready to go and make a difference in the kingdom of Tonga. But if I'm completely honest, as we were preparing for that trip, while I had read a lot about miracles and you kind of like get a sense that when you go on a mission trip, like the miraculous is going to happen. I had read of all the miracles, but if I'm to be honest, I don't think I had the faith for it. I knew that we were going and God was going to use us to teach, to encourage and to train. And I don't want to undermine the value of those things, but I just didn't think that the impact we would have would be immediately measurable. Well, soon after we arrived, I was one of the designated preachers, by far the whitest guy in the country at the time. Little pasty frosty wearing a hoodie in the middle of summer. You better believe. Um, we went around to these different churches and we were preaching. We even got the chance to preach on this like Tongan broadcast into people's homes. It was quite phenomenal because then we were going around knocking on doors, handing out flyers, and they recognized us, made us feel like televangelists or something, but it's not how it was. But we were handing out flyers from door to door and we were inviting people to come to a big healing meeting that we were running in a local community hall. We had hired it out. We were handing out the flyers. But if I'm to be honest, I was nervous. I was really nervous about hosting a healing meeting because up until that point, my faith had been built upon things that were hard to measure. You know, I could come and I could preach the word and people didn't seem that offended. Praise Jesus. Like life is good. I didn't really know like what was going on there. We would declare good things and believe in faith, but never had I had the confrontation of believing for something and it not happening and having to deal with that. And so a healing meeting, like what if people turn up and don't get healed? Like I was trying to figure out like if people come, and we've talked them out of their homes to come to this community hall, and they come and they don't get healed, how would I reconcile that in my soul? Like, whose fault would that be? And what would that mean for my faith? I was nervous. I was nervous because for once, it came down to the crunch of it. Like, either people were going to get healed, or they weren't going to get healed. Well, the evening came. We'd handed out hundreds of flyers in the local community. Uh, we were ready, and the people started to arrive. I'll never forget this moment for the rest of my life. Our team of Elam Leadership College students, we split up into different groups and we were praying for healing for different people in different areas of this community hall. One group of students, they gathered and they went over there and they prayed for someone to be healed of cancer. They prayed, they believed, they stood on God's promises, but there's no way for us to know in that exact moment if the healing had taken place. So we believed, we declared, and we sent them away. Well, there's another group over there praying for someone to be healed of a, of a blood disease and all these different things. And then I get caught with the group praying for a guy in a wheelchair who hasn't walked in eight years. I'm like, God, are you kidding me? Give me the one where I don't actually have to have a result in front of me and, and the confrontation of that may be not happening. And so this is amazing. And I'll never forget it the rest of my life. We gather around this guy who's in a wheelchair. And after a few minutes of praying, believing, declaring and worshiping, we pray. And this guy gets up out of his wheelchair after having not walked for eight years and starts walking around. I'm losing the plot. I'm like, yes, like I'm scared, I'm freaked out, it's awesome. His smile was so big, it looked photoshopped. This guy's smile was so big, it looked like he came out of a Colgate ad. His smile was so massive, why? Because the God of the Bible had supernaturally healed him. 
I was reminded that day, and I've been reminded many days since, that the God of the Bible, who did miracles in biblical times, is the same living God that does miracles today. I need you to know that as a church, we fully believe in the supernatural power of a miracle-working God. We believe that we can see the miraculous hand of God on our circumstance that cannot be explained in any other way. And so what would we define as a miracle? Because we use that word real commonly these days, don't we? It's kind of like a word we just chuck around when good things happen unexpectedly. We turn up to a really busy mall and I found a car park straight away. Miracle. Amazing. I need the weather to be good on Saturday so I can mow my lawns. And it cleared up just in time. It was a miracle. Wives, you ask your husband to do something, but he did it before even being asked. Miracle. Some say for the Warriors to win the NRL, that would take a miracle. (laughs) That one's true. Only a move of God could pull you out of a misery so deep. Those things are amazing. And look, I'm not saying that God isn't involved in these small breakthrough moments along the way, but that's not actually what we would define as a miracle. You see, a miracle is something that can't happen in the natural as it can't be explained within the natural laws of the world that we live in. The miraculous points us towards something or someone who is supernatural. It leaves us with this undeniable conviction that something just took place that does not usually make sense. So I want us to take a look at a couple of the miracles in the Bible this morning. And I want us to start with creation. The Bible says that God spoke and the entire universe came to being. That's phenomenal. That could only be the hand of a miracle-working God. The way that the world is so intricate, it's delicate, it's balanced, it's beautiful. No doubt that's the hand of a miracle-working God. But then we read the book of Exodus, Genesis, Exodus. God miraculously provided a safe passage through the Red Sea. They got the Egyptians behind them. These are the Israelites. They get to this Red Sea and they're like, ah, that's no good. But God spits the Red Sea wide open and they walk through on dry land. Then while they're in the wilderness, God provides food every day. That's amazing. That's like Uber Eats every day for free. Every day manna from heaven is provided to the Israelites, fresh for them to eat. That's incredible. Water's gushing from rocks. From rocks. Water, rock. Water's gushing from rocks to satisfy their thirst. And then Elijah saw the miraculous when ravens were delivering. That's actually, that's, that's a good Uber Eats there. Raven, ravens were delivering food to Elijah in the wilderness. Now, this is completely against the nature of ravens. <laughs> ravens are greedy little vultures. They would never do that on their own, except when God commands something, it's different. The Word of God can change the very nature of things. Fire comes from heaven and burns up a sacrifice. There's these jars of oil that keep on pouring and they never run out. All of these unexplained events that point towards a supernatural being. And then Jesus comes on the scene and He starts ministering to people and we see miracle after miracle. In fact, scholars record down that Jesus performed 37 miracles as recorded in the Scriptures, except we know that it was way more than that. How do I know? Because so many Scriptures, after talking about some being healed says, and all who came to him were healed, or and many others who came to him were healed. We just don't get the details of those ones. What we notice is that we never ever see someone come to Jesus with a need and not receive a miracle. Every person Jesus ministered to was healed. That sounds amazing, but what are the purposes of God's miracles? Like, why do they even exist? If, if heaven is our eternity, does it really matter if we get healed in this life or not? I think that's an important question for us to ask and to seek an answer on. The purpose of Jesus' miracles? Well, they were signs that the Messianic age had come and that the Father in heaven had actually sent Jesus. They invited people in to believe in Him and they strengthen our faith in Jesus. That's really important. 
The miracles always led people to believe that Jesus was the Son of God and led them to repentance and to surrender their life into the hands of the only one who could save them. Many had doubts, as you and I have had doubts, but when they see the miraculous hand of God, they're left with no doubts. I mean, even the disciple Thomas, like one of the 12, the disciple Thomas said, I can't believe in the resurrected Christ. I can't do it until I can put my finger in the, in the hole in Jesus' torso. Weird and gross, but that was his thing. He said, I can't believe it till I see it. The moment that he did it, the Bible says he believed. He believed. You know, if you were here last week, I spoke about the prodigal son who wanted to leave home with his inheritance early. He wanted to go away and he wasted it on wild living. He wanted to leave and not have a relationship with his father. He just wanted the inheritance. He wanted the provision, but not the provider. You know, the miraculous is promised to us. It's our inheritance as believers. And yet the whole point of it is to connect us into deeper relationship and greater faith in Jesus. If you were to receive the miracle that you came believing for today, but you left feeling no closer to God and no increase in your faith, we've missed the point. And so it's on that foundation that we pray and believe for miracles today. Not so that we can have all of our problems disappear, but so that we may believe. And here's the cool part. God invites us into the miraculous. It's only God that can do the miracle. It's only God that can heal and bring breakthrough and set you free and deliver you. Absolutely. But He invites us in to be a part of that. In fact, John 14 verse 12, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing. That's amazing. Have you read about the works that Jesus was doing? And he says, you get to do that too. And then he says, not only that, but they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to be with the Father. He's like, this is the work of the Lord, but I'm out of here. And so I need to empower my people to continue doing that amazing work. And so while it is God that does the miracle, he often uses other believers to deliver that miracle. Uh, back in uni, I destroyed my ankle in a gymnastics maneuver gone wrong. Very rare for me. Usually I'd nail it. Gymnastics maneuver gone wrong and I got rushed off to hospital. I was like fainting, blacking out. My foot was disgusting. Like it looked diseased, like it was going to fall off. And they told me it was so black and bruised and gross. They told me that I would miss the rest of the rugby season because I was out for at least eight to 10 weeks. Surprisingly, no breaks, just mangled and maimed. Well, I went to a healing meeting at a botany campus a couple of days later. Someone prayed for me. I literally walked out holding the crutches under my hand and I, pray, I played two weeks later with no pain, no, no complications, like completely healed. The, the crazy thing is I turned up to the game that, that very following Saturday thinking, oh, it's oh, like it might not be real. I could have played that very next week, but I didn't bring my boots. The next week I turned up getting to play the foot was still gross, but I was completely healed. Like that happened to me. I remember sitting in church hearing stories of miracles when I was a little bit younger going, oh, that's cool. Because that's like your cousins, brothers, dogs, owners, donkeys, person in another country. Like it feels very removed, right? You hear stories of miracles and you're like, that's amazing. But I'm here to tell you today that I've been healed. Like there's no doubt about it that it was God. In fact, I've got a couple of other really cool stories for you. At our Salah Women's event, Morgan Mitchell, she's right down here, did an amazing job on the worship team this morning. She wasn't in the worship team when this happened back in 2020, but we had a ladies' night, and she came along and attended. Now, Morgan says that for most of her adult life, she remembers getting these really severe migraines, like just disabling migraines. And on that particular night, she got one of those. And she's like, I need to get out of here. I'm uncomfortable. I can't be around here. But rather than leaving, she felt God prompted. She says, go to the front. Go to the front where Pastor Maggie Lawson is praying. So she came up and 
Maggie using discernment, she says, Morgan, I want you to sit down. And she examined and saw that one of Morgan's legs was shorter than the other. They prayed and right in front of their eyes, the one leg grew so that her legs were now even. And then Maggie says, stand up, Morgan. So she listened to the woman of God. She stood up and then Maggie prayed for the pain in her back. Boom, pain gone. Like in an instant, the pain was gone from her back. And then Morgan shared a little bit saying, I've got the stuff from my past. There's been trauma. There's been pain from stuff I've gone through. And Maggie then prayed for that. And it's like the whole weight of the world was lifted off her shoulders, completely healed and set free. And I love what Morgan says. She says that she goes, God is so, so good. No more migraines, straight back, even legs and a clear mind. Come on, can we praise God for that amazing miracle? I know Morgan would love to, if you want to ask her any questions about that, she'd love to share that with you afterwards. Two amazing other people in our church, Amanda Beats and uh, Lopati Matang. He's the man playing the guitar so handsomely over here. Uh, these guys are mates, and they were hanging out earlier in the year. And they, they were outside uh, one of the houses, I'm not sure. They were, they were there, and this lady came running out of her house, completely distressed with her lifeless one-year-old in her hands. Daughter not breathing, going a funny color absolutely distressed. And so Lopati and Amanda jumped in to do the best they could. They jumped in and they started to perform, you know, CPR. And those moments of panic, you forget, is it 30? Is it two? Is it four? How many times do I change? They're just doing the best they can, but it's not looking good. Nothing's happening. The girl isn't breathing. It seems like every second feels like a lifetime. And so Amanda, knowing that she serves a God who does miracles, just did the only thing she knows to do. She stopped she held the girl's hand, she prayed, she touched her forehead, and she cried out to God for a miracle. Within just a few moments, the girl started to breathe. She took her first breath in a really long time. And I say a really long time because it had been many minutes since this girl started breathing. And if you know anything about the brain and how that works, just minutes without oxygen can cause a whole lot of damage to the brain. And yet this girl is fully restored, no complications, doing amazing. Man, I love hearing stories like this. Not just of someone's uncle who told me a story, but people in our church that have experienced miracles. And this is just a few of the many. And yet I also know that there's a challenge that you and I face. It's that every time we pray, we don't see a miracle. That's one of those really hard challenges that we have to stomach, that we have to process, that we have to figure out. Because I've prayed for people to be healed of life-threatening conditions, and yet they've still passed away. I've prayed for people to be healed of cancer, diabetes, mental anguish, infertility, sore spines, necks, ankles, backs, and those physical ailments continue to persist. It's like nothing happened. Don't come to me. I stood next to my dad in hospital. I had seen that guy get out of his wheelchair and walk after eight years. I had faith. I'd seen many miracles since. I'd read about all the stories in the Bible when I stood next to my dad who had had a heart attack and I genuinely believed that he would come right and yet he didn't. We can't escape the fact that some people get miraculously healed and God gets all the glory. And yet for others in different seasons, they have to walk through incredible pain and suffering. And yet in that moment, God is still good. And God still deserves all the glory. You know, I think there's been a really unhealthy swing over the years of church history on the whole area of miracles. You know, at times it's been reduced right down to, that's just something that happened in the book of Acts. Like the highlight reel of the action movie, that was for back in the day when God did amazing things, but we don't see that today. That's untrue. We actually see it all the time. But then sometimes it swung the other way to this really weird messed up stuff where it's like man-made miracles or give me a dollar, I'll give you a miracle. That stuff's nonsense. But what I do know is that God wants to do miracles. 
He's actually a miracle working God and we don't need to beg him and beg him and beg him. It is his desire to bring breakthrough to our life. And while we want the miracle and he wants us to bring our request to him, what God wants more than the miracle is a heart set ablaze for him. You know, true faith is when we wrestle with this tension of pressing in for a miracle, believing for it, but also being okay when it doesn't pan out the way that we expected it to. In the book of Daniel, we read that there's these three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're about to be thrown into a fiery furnace because they're refusing to bow down and worship the statue of a king. These guys, they serve the God of the Bible, the Bible that we read, they serve Yahweh, and there's no way they're going to do this. They know to bow down to this big statue is against the way God has called them to live, that they should have no other gods before him, no idols, they're not going to do this. But the king really likes these young men. He's taken quite a liking to them, but he's like, that's the rules, but I'm going to give you a chance to reconsider and bow down to the statue, but they're not going to do it. We read in Daniel chapter 3 from verse 16, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, O Nebuchadnezzar, that's the king, we are not worried about what will happen to us. If we are thrown into the flaming furnace, our God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us into your hand, your majesty. Then he says, uh, but if he doesn't, please understand, sir, that even then we will never under any circumstances serve your God or worship the gold statue you have erected. Man, I love this. In their living or their dying, they were committed that God would receive all the glory. Whether they were miraculously healed or not, it was still the goodness of God that they focused on. That's the faith posture I want to have in my life. To believe that God can, to believe that God will, but when it doesn't happen the way I expected it to, not assuming that's a reflection on God and His character, but perhaps my misunderstanding or not having a big picture of the fullness of what God is doing. So these men, they're not willing to do it. They get thrown into the furnace. They knew it was coming. But while they're in the furnace, the Bible says that what looks like a fourth man is standing next to them in the fire. It's Jesus. And not only did they not get burnt in the fire, but the Bible says that when they left, they didn't even smell of smoke. You know, I've come to know that sometimes the miraculous is taking place right in the midst of our struggle, our pain, and our disappointment. When we feel under fire. And for some of you today, you'd say, man, that's me. I'm in the furnace I feel like there's flames all around me. It's hot. It's uncomfortable. I feel like I'm under fire. I need to encourage you today to know that as you stand in that place, Jesus is standing with you in the fire. And I'm declaring over you, you're going to leave that place not even smelling of smoke. What an amazing challenge for us, right? To hear of these young men that would have faith so bold, so strong, so dedicated to God that even when it didn't happen, it didn't waver their commitment to believe that God can, to believe that God will, but to remain steadfast in our love of Him even if it doesn't. And so as we pray for your miracle today, would we stand in confidence and declare, God, I know you can bring a miracle. I know you will bring a miracle, but even if you don't, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I'm gonna believe that you're in the fire with me and it's your peace and your comfort that I'll focus on. As we prepare to pray for miracles this morning, which we're gonna do in a few moments, we need to understand that there's two main things required for a miracle. It's a need and a prayer. It's not rocket science. You need to have a need to have a miracle. If you've got no need, you don't need a miracle. You need a need 
and we need to actually come before God with the little bit of faith that we've got. The Bible says that we have faith as small as a mustard seed. I don't know if you've seen one of those. They're tiny. Just the smallest amount of faith, you can speak to a mountain and it'll be cast into the sea. I'm believing that mountains are going to be cast into sea, to the sea today as we pray for miracles. Now, in the book of John, there's seven miracles that Jesus performs. And in the time we've got left, I'm going to boost through these, but I want to touch on all seven really quickly as they relate to us. John records the statement at the very end of his eyewitness account in chapter 20, verse 30. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I want to touch on these seven miracles. And as I do, I want you to ask God what he's saying to you. Because for some of you, you know, you came in today, you already know exactly what the miracle is that you're believing for. And others, as we go through these seven, I want you to see if you can see yourself in this situation. And perhaps God is prompting you to write this one down. Now, as you came through the doors, hopefully you received a little card that says the miracle I'm believing for is or something to that effect. If you didn't get a card, don't just just use the orange connect card in front of you. In in a moment, I'm going to invite you to write down what it is you're believing for, for your miracle. And then after the service, Eliza's going to take them back and she's going to put them on the wall right next to all of the 9am ones. They're already on the wall at the back for what people are believing for. So if you want, you can keep it anonymous. People will be seeing it, but, but God doesn't need your name on the piece of paper, right? He knows that that's your request. But it's there so that the rest of us could go back. We could look, we could pray over. Maybe you want to take a photo on your phone so you can continue to pray for these things throughout the week. But I want you to listen to what God is saying as we near ourselves towards the end where we're going to pray for these miracles. Okay, seven miracles. Are you ready? First miracle that Jesus performs in John chapter 2 is he as Jesus turns water into wine at a wedding. This is Jesus' very first miracle that he ever does. And isn't it interesting that the wine represents joy and celebration? That's why the wine was there at the wedding. And so his very first miracle is to restore wine so that joy, peace, and celebration would come back to the people. And there are people in the room today, you've lost your hope. You've lost your joy. Maybe over this whole COVID season, you just feel like you've been ground into the ground. You feel depleted, like you don't have enough to carry on. Well, I want to declare Nehemiah 8 verse 10 over your life, that the joy of the Lord would be your strength. This new season will be one of peace and of joy as God directs your steps daily. Maybe your miracle today is simply that you would be filled with the presence of God again, where He would give you vision for your life ahead, and you would be restored with peace and joy for your season ahead. Second miracle that Jesus performs is that he heals a government official's son. This is the one that Shemaine touched on earlier. John chapter 4. The need here was that there was a Roman officer who was well respected, had a lot of authority, probably had a decent amount of money, and yet there's nothing he could do to save his son by himself. He probably tried everything. He probably had access to all the right people. He probably had enough money to try and get the breakthrough all on his own. But a point comes where he just comes and he begs Jesus for a miracle. It says in John chapter 4, verse 48, Unless you people see signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Go, Jesus said, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. Maybe you're here today and you've just exhausted your own ability to see breakthrough. 
You've gone to professionals. You've paid the money. You've sought advice. You've done all the things that you think you know to do. And there you are still waiting for a miracle. Maybe today is the day where you just say, God, it's out of my hands. Maybe God's saying, today's the day where you say, you've tried. And God's saying, now it's my turn. That we would surrender it into God's hands and watch the goodness of God at work. You know, surrender and humility are at the forefront of every miracle. The third miracle that Jesus does is John chapter 5. Jesus heals a man at the Sheep Gate Pool, or otherwise known as the Pools of Bethsaida. There's this pool there, and there's crippled people that are camped out around it. Why? Because the Bible says when the waters bubble up, if they can get into the pool, they'll be healed. And Jesus asks this crippled man an amazing question. He says to the man, do you want to get well? Now that sounds obvious, right? Surely the man will be like, yes. But that's not how he answers. He says, do you want to get well? And the man just says, well, yeah. And starts coming up with excuses as to why he hasn't received his miracle. He's like, well, other people beat me there. They get their miracle. I don't get mine. I've tried so many times and it's never happened. His need was courage to go again. Like Naaman in the River Jordan being told to dip seven times for his leprosy to be healed. Maybe there's people here today and you need to be encouraged to go again, to dip, dip again, step again, ask again, believe again, trust again, and come forward for your miracle. For some today, you've been going back and forward with all these arguments and excuses and, and reasons why you haven't got your miracle. But I believe Jesus today is saying, ignore the distractions, ignore the excuses, forget about the past. It's time to come forward and believe again that the miracle could be yours. God is not only able to perform a miracle, but He's also willing. Fourth miracle is in John chapter 6. Jesus feeds 5,000 people. It's a lot of people. The need here was that there was a whole crowd that was so hungry, and with a seemingly impossible situation, all they had was the food in a little boy's hands. They had some fish and some loaves of bread. And maybe you are staring down the barrel of what looks like an impossible situation, and you're saying, this is all I've got. You need to know that that is all God needs. All we've got is all God needs. And the moment that they didn't say, oh, we've only got a little bit of fish and a little bit of bread, they didn't say to the boy, is that all you got? Go and catch more fish. Go and bake more bread. No, they just took what he had. They blessed it. They thanked God and he multiplied it. The moment we release what we're holding on to, the, the miracle becomes possible. And sometimes we need a move of God to release the things that we haven't been able to let go of. And today could be your day. Will you write it on the card? In a moment, I'm going to invite you to bring it forward and place it in a box and we're going to pray over it. Maybe that very action of coming forward is your release moment. Miracle number five, Jesus walks on water and calms a storm. It's one of the famous ones. That's in John chapter six. Jesus walks on water, gets out to a boat, he hops into the boat, and then he helps to calm the storm. The need that needed to be addressed among the disciples here is that they were afraid. And like many of us, there are so many things in our world that leave us absolutely terrified. John chapter 6, verse 20. But he said to them, this is Jesus, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Well, I believe that for some people here today, God's saying, don't be afraid of the outcome. You can trust me. For some, you've, you've actually just, you've resisted inviting Jesus in. See, it's, it, for some, it feels like the weak option. It's the strongest option you've got. To invite Jesus into your life, into your business, into your season, into your relationship. To invite Jesus in. 
It might feel like there's a storm around you, but peace comes when you invite Jesus into your boat. And I know the miracle is walking on water, but I find the last part of that verse absolutely fascinating. It says, the moment they were willing to let Jesus into the boat, they arrived immediately. For some today, inviting Jesus into your situation is going to allow you to arrive at your destination far faster than you ever would if you tried to do it in your own strength. Axon, you can join me on keys. Sixth miracle that Jesus does is that Jesus heals a man born blind. That's in John chapter 9. This man's need's pretty obvious, right? Like it doesn't take rocket science to figure out that a man born blind wants to be healed of being blind. He needs a physical healing. And maybe you're here in the room today. Maybe it's for you or someone you're here on behalf of that needs a physical healing. Maybe it's healing from cancer, diabetes, a long-term injury, infertility. The list could go on, and you know what it is. Jesus can heal. Jesus can literally heal you, and He wants to heal you today. And your healing is going to produce a powerful testimony in your life like it did for this man. But there's also a spiritual need. Yet the man born blind wants to see. Of course, and God can do that. That's obvious. But there was also a spiritual need because right after this man was healed, Jesus asked him a question. John chapter 9 verse 35 says, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And that's just the title that Jesus gave for himself. So Jesus is essentially saying, do you believe in me? Do you believe in Jesus? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. You have, seen, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. For some, Jesus has actually already done the miracle in your life. You may not have realized that. Maybe he's revealing it to you right now. Maybe you thought, man, I was so good how I overcame that thing back there. Like, I nailed that. And God's saying, that was me. I aligned that. I made that happen. Open your eyes to the ways I'm working in your life. Maybe for you today, it's not actually about needing another miracle. But what you're going to put on your card is a praise report. To say, this is what God did in my life. For some of you, Jesus has already done the miracle. But I wonder if, if that's you today, you could align your life and your response to be like the man that was healed of being born blind, where his response was to worship. This man is healed. Jesus says, do you know the Son of Man? He says, who is he? I want to believe. He says, it's me. I'm the one talking to you. He says, I believe. And he worshiped him. That is always an appropriate response. The seventh and final miracle that Jesus does in the book of John is in chapter 11. Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. Again, pretty obvious. Jesus' friend Lazarus is dead. That's it. It's final. People are mourning. People are weeping. There was no hope. There was wailing in the homes, wailing in the streets. It was game over. In fact, Jesus even waited the three days that were required for the death be to be considered official before He finally made His way there to then speak and bring about the resurrecting power of a miracle where Lazarus was raised back to life. And for some of you today, you find yourself in a situation that just feels dead. But I'm here to tell you that the whole point of these stories is to remind us that we serve a God that brings dead things back to life. And God is wanting to speak resurrection life into your relationships today. Husbands and wives, 
mothers and daughters, fathers and sons, siblings, that there would be unity and restoration and breakthrough and miracles in your family situations. You've even declared with your own life, it's over. It's dead. Maybe you feel like your marriage is on the rocks and you're like, I've tried everything. Maybe you're like the the Roman centurion that maybe you've tried everything in your power, but now you need to say, God, it's your turn. I need you to come through and perform a miracle that doesn't make sense any other way. And if you've declared that it's dead, God is declaring something different over your situation. He would say, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. I will make breath into you and you will come to life. If you need God's miracle working, resurrecting power in your life, write it down on your card. Look, it's not homework. It's not so we can collect it. It's so that you can do something physical as a step of faith to declare, this is what I'm believing for. I've got faith. I'm hearing God's promises. I'm gonna write it down. And in just a moment, I'm gonna invite you to bring it forward. I'm gonna pray. If you haven't written it already, write it down. Use your card or the Connect card. We've got this box. Shemaine, could I grab that box, please? That would be amazing. And then in a moment, I'm gonna invite you to come and just place it in this box. It's like bringing it to the altar. I kind of think of the man the crippled man by the pools of Bethsaida who just had to make his way to the pool and the miracle would be his. Now, I'm not likening this to the pool, but sometimes I'm just coming forward means something. And we're going to pray over it. Elias is going to place it at the back and we're going to believe in Jesus' name that you would receive your breakthrough. What we can't promise you is that every miracle will be granted today. You're either going to get it today or you're going to be reminded that God is with you in the fiery furnace and that you would leave that place not even smelling of smoke, not burnt up, stronger for it, built up in your faith, knowing Jesus. So I'm going to place this on the ground right here. I'm going to pray and then I'm going to invite you forward. Father God, I thank you that you are here in the room with us now. We don't want to talk about you like you're not in the room. Your promise in your word is that when we gather in the name of Jesus, which we have done, that you would be in the room with us. I thank you, God, that you're here, that you have miracle working, resurrecting power. And I pray right now for boldness as people prepare their hearts and their cards to bring it forward, to lay it down as a token of faith and say, God, I'm laying it down at the foot of the cross. I'm placing it in your hands. The only one who can actually do the miracle God, I pray for boldness right now. I pray for an increase in faith that if you've done it for people in the past, you can do it again today. That's what we're believing for in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, amen.